Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Purdy's have served this valley for decades. They've done so by finding their clients, their customers, their friends, their best insurance options possible at the best price. So you're fully covered. And if something ever happens, ooh, do they ever go to work? Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. And we are in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. All right, not one, not two, but three play-by-play calls of the day. Burrow, play action, tosses into the end zone. Terrace Marshall all by his lonesome. Touchdown, Tigers! 48-14. Wentz gives to Scott. Up the middle, he pushes, he's in, touchdown, standing up. Meanwhile, Miami has first and goal down by four. And they're at the New England four-yard line, first and goal. 29 seconds left. Here, Butker kicks the extra point. And Fitzpatrick throws in the end zone. Touchdown, Miami! The Dolphins have just scored. Gasicki, the tight end, got a laser in the back of the end zone on a goal-to-go touchdown pass by Miami quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick to take a lead with 24 seconds to go. The extra point coming up for Miami, leading New England 26-24. to And the crowd now knows it. What a throw by Fitzpatrick. What a touchdown run by Williams on the last weekend of the regular season in the NFL. If the Chiefs win and New England loses, the Chiefs will be the two seed. They'll get the bye and they'll have a home game the next weekend. I'm getting confused. What game are you calling? I'm calling both games. <laughs> Here is the extra point. The Dolphins have just gone up on New England. 27-24 with 24 seconds to go. CBS is going to send you two checks this week. I think I'm breaking every FCC <laughs> rule in the book. <laughs> Kevin Harlan who, yes, was doing the Chiefs-Chargers game. But the Chiefs would get a a bye if the Patriots lost. So Kevin Harlan did both games, as only Kevin Harlan can do. He's awesome. He's amazing. Actually, he is. He's really, really, you know what? And he calls the game right. 
And this is what I mean by calling the game right. Matt, you, you, games bring with them emotion. I think that's why when you see a game and you see the fans are jumping up and down and screaming and yelling and you know cheering or booing or upset or euphoric, that's what support that's what sports is supposed to do. As the entertainment form, it is supposed to draw upon those emotions. Now, we can analyze the game on Saturday in the Cotton Bowl, pick this, pick that, which we're going to talk about some some stuff here in a few moments. But believe me, Penn State fans up and down the valley are representative of Penn State fans across the state, the region, and so forth. They are thrilled beyond words, and we're jumping up and down in every Journey Brown run, jumping up and down in every Micah Parsons play, because of why? Emotion. The emotion is what sports does. It brings out the emotion. Kevin Harlan does the game with emotion. Now, if the Chargers make a play, he does it with emotion. If he does, the Chiefs make a play, he does it with emotion. And if he breaks all the FCC rules, as he says, and it happens to be doing play-by-play of the Patriots game with the Dolphins, which is 1,500 miles away in Foxborough, he does that with emotion. And he'll give and, you every detail known to man, and he's the perfect, which makes him the perfect radio play-by-play guy, and you don't even need the TV with it when, he, when he's on the call. And even so, and that's what's so great about when he was doing the, the Patriots-Dolphins play-by-play. It's like he put his radio instincts right in himself while he's doing TV. It was just amazing. And that's, the, that's part of the job. Part of your job is to paint the picture, but part of your job is also to convey the emotion of the moment. At least I think it is. It's the way I've always gone about it. Not going to say I'm Kevin Harlan, but I just I just think that's important. So three uh, great calls right there. Let's get to now uh, the game on Saturday. And you notice how Brett McMurphy chuckled when I said about the he's talking about Ohio State driving and settling for field goals. Well, they did. Well, that was the story of Penn State and Memphis. If you want to know the difference as to why there's power five teams and why there's group of five teams, notice Penn State's ability to finish. Penn State's ability to finish. Penn State in the game scored seven touchdowns. Memphis scored three. Every once in a while you'll get a game like, for example, the 2009 Citrus Bowl between Penn State and LSU, where Colin Wagner kicked four field goals in that game and Penn State won 19-17 over LSU. But you notice the scoring in the game was under 20. Penn State won with 19 points. So you're going to get a game once in a while where a team kicks three, four field goals and wins. 
But you are not going to win a game in a shootout. Uh, and again, all praise to Riley Patterson, who's just a. He's, I don't know if Jerry Jones was at the game or not, but if he was, <laughs> they say that Patterson looks like he could kick here, kick here, and do pretty well. Um, but you're not going to win those games, kicking six field goals. You can't. And when you look at for Memphis. Part of the reason why they ended up kicking field goals is their inability to get into the is to drive the ball but not get to the red zone. When you look at Memphis in the game statistically, you got to be able to get to the red zone to score. And Memphis Got into the red zone. Let's see, what six times? But they, you know, but when I mean in the red zone, so they got in the red zone six times. Twice they settled for field goals, and once they had the, had an interception. Well, those red zone things a little a little squirrely as to how they did it here. Memphis's first field goal ended up. Uh, Having the drive stopped at the 30. Didn't get to the red zone. Next next field goal, they got to the 19. Okay? So they did get to the red zone. The next field goal ended at the 26. No red zone. The next field goal ended at the Penn State 33. No red zone. The next field goal ended at the 23. No red zone. The next field goal ended at the 24. No red zone. In fact, the interception by Marquise Wilson was the fourth deepest penetration of the game, and that was at the 19-yard line. Penn State, on the other hand, was perfect in the red zone. They went 5-for-5 in the red zone. The ability to finish drives... Memphis moved the ball brilliantly between the 20s. They could not, but they once they got near the 20, they couldn't, except for three times, they couldn't get in. And that's the difference. Micah Parsons was mind-blowing the way he played the game. 14 tackles in the game. Three tackles for losses. Two sacks. Two forced fumbles. The interception by Garrett Taylor, he belted the ball out. I called it a fumble on the broadcast, which, is, by the way, is the exact same way I called the um, interception by Ellis Brooks against Michigan State. Because the ball you know, got belted out. It didn't feel like it was thrown. It got, it got hit out. That's why I called each one a fumble at the time. But you're doing that in real time, too. He also had two bat- pass breakups, a quarterback hurry. And your first-team All-American played like a first-team All-American. I thought in the game, I thought Ellis Brooks played really well. I felt like 
Brady White. Now, I want to quickly clarify something I said about Brady White going into the game. I said, look, the guy can't run. But every time, and I said this for a month, sometimes I think people don't quite hear what you're saying. I said, he can't run. right? I said, but he can move. There is a gigantic difference between running and moving. In that three- to five-foot area in the pocket, every time I looked at the tape, he had a great handle on how to move in the three- to five-foot area. What I was talking about is inability to run is that Penn State has faced a series of quarterbacks this year that had the ability to run the quarterback draw against them. That's what I'm talking about, the guy that can take a designated running play and can really make a run out of it. Right and becomes a weapon. Justin Fields, good example. He can do that. Shea Patterson can do that. Penn State faced a series of guys like that this year. That's not Brady White, but his ability to move in the pocket, he kept plays alive because of his pocket movement, and I give him a lot of credit. But after a while, even that started to wane just a bit. Offensively, Penn State ran the ball beautifully, and you look at Journey Brown, but it wasn't just Journey Brown. Noah Kane had 92 yards rushing in the game. Ricky Slade comes off the bench, rips off a big run right away. Hey, Ricky Slade ended up running for 58 yards in the game, including that 44-yarder. Devin Ford scored a touchdown. Kane had 92 yards on 15 carries. I thought Kane played great. But that goes back to the offensive line. Manette. Miranda. Miranda graded out very high in the game. C.J. Thorpe. Gonzalez. Will Fries. Rasheed Walker graded out very high in the game. Des Holmes. Those seven guys were great, along with Nick Bowers and Pat Fryermuth. They were tremendous. Journey Brown had one of those legendary touchdown runs to open the scoring for Penn State. But on his 56-yarder, he was the only the only person that touched him on the fifty six yarder was Sean Clifford handing the ball off to him. After that, he ran fifty six yards free. Journey Brown ended up with two hundred two yards of Penn State bowl record in the game. He is a perfect example of of people that see recruiting and they immediately make a judgment because while well, only Syracuse and Duquesne offered him. And Penn State's coaches saw something in him. And in in seeing something in him, they saw a guy with great speed, who obviously is a PIAA track champion. But this is where the Sunday night non-travel scrimmages are very revealing. And I get so much out of seeing it, because you really now get a chance to see guys play against comparable talent. When Journey Brown was a true freshman, he dominated some of those scrimmages to the point where we started referring to it as the Journey Brown show on Sunday nights. Hey, let's go out to the Journey Brown show. I looked at Saquon Barkley. I said, ready for the Journey Brown show? He goes, yeah, let's go. And Saquon Barkley was Journey Brown's biggest backer. He made a, he made a run on a Sunday night. Saquon got all emotional to the point where the other players were like, will you calm down? It was it was actually funny to see it. I'm not going to get into what was said. But what Journey Brown showed me on those Sunday night things that was revealing to me 
was that I knew he had great speed. So I knew he could get to the outside and he could turn the corner, he could go. Right? And if he had a hole, he could go. What he showed me, though, in the Sunday night scrimmages when he was a true freshman, his ability to run between the tackles. I didn't know he could run, but you know, again, I don't take a, I don't look at highlight tapes, but you always get the impression that well, he's just a track guy. I'm watching this guy pounded between the tackles, pounded between the tackles, keep pounding. I, it's all part of the scrimmage. And I thought this guy runs between the tackles with some authority. This guy's going to get better and better at it. Now you look at the Journey Brown, who's now a redshirt sophomore, run between the tackles. He's really become really good as a running back. And Kane had a great game. I think Ford has all the potential in the world. They're in good shape in that room. All right, we'll come back. More in a moment. Here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Yeah, at the uh, holiday party, the suit was wearing a white suit and danced to this. All we were missing was a disco ball. And this is why several people felt they needed time off after the... uh, (laughs) And three three people who were at the party, I guess, went into therapy. It's just, I mean, it's... it's, I I suppose some people thought that was cool. I don't know. I just... I've done too many games with him to not be used to it by now. Well, the good thing about you is your ability to put him on ignore. <laughs> um, and, yeah. that's a, He's a scary dude. All right, so uh, <laughs> you look at the, the future here, and I, you know, I think James Franklin's right. Uh, he said after the game... The best is yet to come for Penn State bas- uh, for Penn State football. Probably same for Penn State basketball, but the best is yet to come for Penn State football. He's right. Look at the nucleus that is currently in line to return for Penn State football. Clifford Levis, Kirk Shiraka. I had a nice talk with Kirk on Friday. Uh we picked a unique location, by the way, to have the talk, and that was <laughs> on the field at AT&T Stadium. Yeah. Um, just seemed like the right place to do it. Uh, but he'll I think he's going to be a great addition to what's going on around here. Great addition. And so you get that. The four running backs, okay, which we've already gone through. Friermuth. Coming back at tight end, huge. And Brenton Strange is just a ter- terrific prospect. Strange and so Zach Kuntz really good. That you know, people are wondering about wideout, and no one knows what. At least I don't know what KJ is going to do. It's uh, that's up to him. John Dunmore, TJ Jones are going to have to figure into this mix for them. Jahan Dotson, I think, is just... I'm a big Jahan Dotson guy, as you know. I'm a big Jahan Dotson guy. And Daniel George, who played hurt, 
from the Maryland game on is a big physical receiver that I think is going to figure in in a very positive way for Penn State football. Defensively, you know, Yitor's gone. We're waiting to see what Shaka and Tariq Castro Fields want to do. But Mustafer, Shelton, uh, Simmons, Adisa Isaac, Judge Culpepper, Micah, Ellis Brooks had a great bowl game. Great bowl game, I thought. Jesse Lucetta, Brandon Smith. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mertz family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome back to the Steve Jones Show on a Cotton Bowl Victory Monday. News Radio 1070 WKOK. Today's show brought to you by our good friends at Purdy Insurance. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Visit them on their office at Market Street in Sunbury. And Steve is from the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hubble's Wharf. And Tommy Stevens has already scored a touchdown in his game. Mississippi State leading Louisville 7-0. Tommy's uh, been running the ball today. Yeah, he already has several early carries. Got uh, six carries for 49 yards on a touchdown. And Mississippi State leads Louisville seven nothing. I want to say this: is the, they're playing in the Gator Bowl, I believe. Sorry, I, I don't do the sponsor thing. I know they're critical to what goes on. I, I understand that. You know, if Penn State tells me I need to mention the sponsor of said game. Obviously, I'll do it. That's not that's not an issue. But I don't feel like I'm beholden to the Cotton Bowl, for example. To mention, I mean, I never one time mentioned Goodyear, even though I think I know. I, even though I know it's important, the Goodyear sponsors it. You know, when they did the Fiesta Bowl, they mentioned PlayStation. Now, the only time I've ever mentioned sponsors on bowls, I mean, the Outback Bowl, you have no choice. 
<laughs> it's the Outback Bowl. But, like, the Tax Slayer Bowl, I mean, it's the Gator Bowl. That's what I grew up on. I'm stubborn. <laughs> uh, Western Kentucky beat Western Michigan today 23-20. And with a minute to go in the first quarter, Cal leads Illinois 7-3. to So you got competing bowl games today. And apparently Illinois led in a bowl game for the first time since 2011, I just saw, before Cal took the lead. See, that is Lovey Smith making progress. All right, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't pick uh, I didn't pick Illinois to win. I think I, I did Cal. not either. Yeah, I picked Cal. I, I picked Cal. Big Ten's 3-1 and one so far. Yeah, they are off to a good start at the conference. Yeah. Well, I thought Iowa looked great the other night against USC. Oh, they USC. did. And you know what? I thought Iowa would win would win that game outright just because I've been impressed with the way yeah. they've been with that running game defensively, and they really showed up. That was impressive. Stanley played well. Let's give Nathan Stanley credit. He played well in that game. Uh, so, I mean, one quick note on the secondary for Penn State, because I mentioned everybody else. A lot of people are concerned and obviously, with the number of yards given up in the bowl game, passing to Brady White, who played very, very well. Here's what strikes me about Penn State's secondary. When you recruit, no offense to everybody you recruit, you've got to expect that you're not going to, quote, hit on every one of them. And there are various reasons why. Somebody gets hurt, you get banged up, you're not able to, you know, or you fall behind because you got banged up or or emotionally you're not quite ready or something off the field is a, a problem or sometimes comparable competition, you can't quite handle it. I, and there's reasons why once in a while it just doesn't work, but you don't expect that you're going to hit on everybody. So if you recruit 25 guys and you hit on 17 or 18, that's pretty darn good. That's really good. You know, guy transfers, you know, there's, there's a thousand things. But if you can hit on 17 or 18 out of 25, that's great. So now let's look at Penn State, the young corners. Trent Gordon is a redshirt freshman. I thought Gordon played pretty well in the game. Trent Gordon's a redshirt freshman. Daquan Harder, you haven't seen yet, he's a true freshman. Joey Porter, you've seen very little of, true freshman. Marquise Wilson, who had the pick in the game. And Keaton Ellis. Penn State hit on all five guys. And I say this as somebody who watches them practice every day. So I'm, I'm so I don't want somebody calling in and going, Oh, what it you know <laughs> I've watched the games, blah blah blah. You know, you haven't seen okay, what you haven't seen much of some of these guys I have. Um how about that for being blunt? <laughs> But they've hit it. Ellis, I thought, played really well in the game. They hit a pass play on him that was, he had as well covered, just like in the Minnesota game, as well covered as you can ask him to be. And Marquise Wilson, there are just certain guys that have, that are around the football. You'll find that Daquan Hardy is one of these guys. When you watch Hardy practice, you can see it. 
He just knows where the ball is all the time. He played that, the interception, he played it like he was a junior. Doug in Wellsboro. Duggar, Happy New Year, brother. Same to you, Steve. How are you? Doing well, and I hope uh, everything's going well for you. I hope the uh, your son that I met at the game is doing well, an outstanding young man. He's he's still wound up about meeting you. Well, I, I was very pleased and thrilled to meet him. He's a, a really a terrific young man. A couple questions about the game. Sure, um, absolutely. It was, it was obvious to me that they had looked at the Minnesota tape and the Ohio State tape. They were trying to get their taller receivers on John Reed and and Lamont Wade. It worked some time. It worked, didn't work other times. The thing that gets me is why did they wait so long? They couldn't get to him with front four. Why did they wait so long to start blitzing, specifically Micah or somebody else? They couldn't get to him, and he was getting rid of the ball quick. And he was picking them apart. I mean, were they just were they caught in between? Yeah, they were caught in between. I think early on they wanted to see how they wanted to attack, so they were trying to take away the short zones. Yeah, in other words, I want to if I want to play pitch and catch, if I'm taking away the short zones on you, they you know the slant stuff. You know, then uh, you can handle it. I think then they start seeing that where Memphis wanted to go. Because Penn State had taken that part away, that's when they made the adjustment to then start blitzing out and going after him and getting him to hurry up. Because in between the 20s, they moved the ball brilliantly. But as I pointed out earlier, if you really examine the game, there's a reason why Memphis had six field goals and only three touchdowns. Because they only could get the ball to the 25-yard line. They couldn't get any closer. And I think that's because when the field shortened up, it changed life for them. They just couldn't move it once the field shortened up. But you're right. They did match up on the smaller corners. Uh, They tried to go after Reed. They went after Wade. You're going to see, I think, Doug, a change in that next year because now those longer corners. See, what you idealistically want to do is you want to take your best cover guy, if you can, when you go nickel, and you want to flip him inside. All right? Well, Reed's that guy. The problem was that they had, we were playing corners that were really inexperienced and had trouble early in the season handling it. So they had to keep Reed on the outside. So they brought Wade in to play the nickel and they brought Brisker in to play the safety spot. And that was done by necessity in the first half of the season. The next season, because of the experience that the taller corners got, you're going to see a better nickel package from Penn State next year. John Reed, for another classman, he does great for for seven out of ten times. But every once in a while, he'll get caught looking in the back in the backfield, and he just let that guy loose down the middle of the field early in the first quarter. Well, but you, you got to remember what's the design of the play. That may have been the safety. Was it? Well, you, you remember sometimes it's not just the corner. If the corner's releasing him, and uh, nine times out of ten, I'm going to ch- – nine times, not every time, one time out of ten I won't. But nine times out of ten, I'm going to trust that if John Reed released him, he was supposed to. Okay. And I thought uh, John – I'll tell you, he, this word here, John's really smart. Notice the number of times where John used his leverage and used the sideline as an extra defender on a guy. And I thought that he made some pretty good plays there. 
Yeah, he's a smart guy, and, and he's yep. experienced and stuff, but, but the right. problem is he's short. Yeah, and, you're and right. They, and that, I that mean, they did the same thing the Iowa issue. did, they did the same thing Minnesota did. Yeah, that, and you know what? I think when he goes to the NFL, Doug, you know what you're going to see him? You're going to see people putting John on the slot receiver. That's where I think they want it. That's I think that's where John's going to make his living in the NFL. Why didn't they help Will Fries more? Well, when you're, the way you're running the football, I, I think what happened was that Penn State started running the ball the way they did. And you know what I think Memphis did, Doug? They started run blitzing, and okay. so and and in run blitzing. Penn State then a few times threw the football and they threw the ball football against the run blitz, which meant that they were getting they, you're overwhelmed on numbers. He just uh, the the holding penalty on Huff, the first one. I mean, if you're listening to the broadcast, you notice when the interference was called in the end zone, I didn't really make a big deal out of it because I clearly saw when he released the ball that 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 Will had him. And, it, it, was and was holding him. Yeah. it was obvious on TV. It was obvious that he held yeah. him. You know, it was, obvi- it was obvious right away. And I'm thinking, I hope this is offsetting. <laughs> 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 That's why when he dragged him down, I was like, ah, and he said, that it's going to be pass interference in the end zone. And I looked at Jack and I went, oh. <laughs> Good, they won't back. Penn State's not going to be penalized here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he probably, he probably a couple times he probably needed. But I think a couple times what happened was Penn State had a pass play called, and they had a run blitz, and they were overwhelming the numbers. That was that was a couple times, not every time, but a couple times. How was Dallas? I've always liked Dallas. I've done a lot. I've done a, I've done some games in Dallas before. Last time. I'll tell you, Doug. If you love love steak, a good steakhouse, they have steakhouses all over the lot. There, they have great places to eat there. Uh, now, for me, because I've been to Dallas a number of times to do games over the years, um, I've already gone through the uh, uh, all the uh, area around the, where the Kennedy assassination took place. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, that's always been a draw. So I've been to the Grassy Knoll. I've been to Dealey Plaza uh, and so forth. Uh, and I've done that a couple of times. This time I went through there, but it was inadvertent. Uh, the, the the Cotton Bowl courtesy driver, when we went over to get our credentials, which was at the Omni, and the Omni is where when Dick Girardi went into the U.S. Basketball Writers Hall of Fame, that's where the induction was held, and I was there five years ago for that. Well, he drops off the Omni. We got our credentials. Now we're going to go back to the hotel, and we're going to go to dinner. So we come out of the Omni, and he, he makes a left, and then he makes a number left. And as soon as he made the left, I went, oh, my. I said it out loud. I says, oh, my God, we're on Elm Street. All right? And everybody's like, Elm Street? All right? And, of course, Jack knew what I meant. All right? And it's, I said, yes, Elm Street, where President Kennedy was killed. And the driver said, oh, yeah, it's right over here. And he drove right over the X. And we're looking at each other like, okay, that was eerie. And, and, and Jack and I even talked about it today. We, uh, we talked on the phone today earlier about, can you believe he did that? What, what are you doing? 
It's <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. Hey, uh, now, there's also the other part. It was also 56 years ago. Yeah. But... But you know, but you know, you can spend a lot of time there. There's a lot to do in Fort Worth. Uh, the hotel was gorgeous. The stadium is a trip unto itself, Doug. It really is. Uh, I I think I made a, a joke during the game when they announced that the clock wasn't working and they would keep the time in the field. And I said, one point three billion dollars, and you can't get the clock to work. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, yeah. But the stadium is um, – that's the biggest plus the Cotton Bowl has going for it is the stadium. Did you and see I Sean Lee? No, and Sean was going to come down from Frisco. Okay. And Jack and I Jack and I have both wanted to see Sean. Sean has been great to me over the years. And Sean – and what happened was the Cowboys, with, that, with everything at stake for them, even though it didn't pan out for them yesterday – Lots of meetings and practice over the week. Lots of meetings. And that's why he couldn't get out. Uh, and same thing with Gary Brown. I want to see Gary Brown, too. Yeah. Uh, and so. Hey, last thing. Um, why did you guys fly back into Harrisburg and not State College? Uh, seven, uh, uh, we flew a 777 back. Okay. And, and State College can't State College can handle a 737 right yeah uh an old 747 which now has since been retired it's marginal as to whether a 747 could get in here 737 can a 777 can't uh and it's not just the length of the runway it's the width of the runway so because of the size of the plane we had to go to Harrisburg and bus back and that's why I got back at 2 in the morning yesterday Got about five hours sleep. Uh, got over to the Jordan Center, taped the pregame with Pat. Went through shoot around. Came back home. Got a quick bite to eat. Got back to the arena at eleven. Did the game at noon and was uh, out of there at three o'clock. We listened to you for both the football and the basketball game, and you did a great job as always. We really enjoy listening to you. Well, that means a lot to me. I mean, that means more. It actually means more than you realize. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah, we always listen to you and turn down the volume on the TV. So yeah. Oh, so that's so you knew about the one point three billion dollar joke. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. One point three billion. They can't get the clock to work. I was. Yeah. Sorry, Jerry. I didn't mean to be insulting about the Jerry Jones about all that. Um, Doug also knows all the suit jokes, and he also knows that most of them are actually true. We'll come back with more in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. For nearly 100 years, Purdy Insurance has been your locally owned, family operated source for insurance products. With a staff of over 20 and partnerships with some of the industry's most trusted companies, Purdy has the experience and resources to get the job done. Whether you need personal home and auto or complex business insurance solutions, Purdy will help you navigate through the process. Call today at 570 286 5855. Or better yet, stop in their Sunbury office to see what Purdy Insurance can do for you. Hey, by the way, uh, Dallas is in the spotlight for the Winter Classic. It's the Dallas Stars and the Nashville Predators uh, on NBC New Year's Day. 
and outside of Nashville and maybe a couple of pockets of Dallas, nobody's going to watch it. Uh, it's, it's, that, sorry, that's not going to work. Uh, but they're going to be playing in the old Cotton Bowl. The actual the actual Cotton Bowl Stadium is where the Winter Classic's going to be played. So they have ice down in the old Cotton Bowl. Did I ever did I tell the story on the air? Maybe I did on Saturday. I think I did tell the story on the broadcast on the pregame show Saturday about the roof in the stadium. Yes, I do remember that. And the roof in the stadium is the exact dimensions of the old roof of Texas Stadium in Irving, which has since been imploded. And I did see that stadium at one point in my lifetime. And the uh, and of course this one has a retractable roof. So is the new Ranger Stadium. The old Ranger Stadium looks gorgeous. Sitting right next to the new one. Looks gorgeous. And in fact, in terms of aesthetics, looks exponentially better than the new one they're building for the Texas Rangers. But it has a retractable roof, and with temperatures at 100 in the summertime, I can understand for fan comfort and even for player comfort, it's going to be important. So I get it. I do get that part. But the cutout on the top of the retractable roof in this stadium is the exact dimensions of old Texas Stadium. Well, the reason they moved out of the Cotton Bowl, which is where the Cowboys originally played, along with the Kansas City Chiefs, who were the Dallas Texans then, is that Clint Murchison, the owner then of the Cowboys, really didn't like the neighborhood around the Cotton Bowl. He thought it was getting very dangerous back in the 60s and into the early 70s. So he thought for the fans, he says, look, this isn't, he says, I don't like this. That's why they built Texas Stadium. Well, the reason there's a hole in the top at Texas Stadium, oh, it's so God can look down and see his team. That's, okay. The reason is they were going to build the first ever retractable roof. And guess what? They ran out of money. So they left the hole open. And that's the rest of the story. (laughs) A lot of good quality stadium knowledge today. Had some fun. We're going to have more fun tomorrow. We've got a lot more to get to. Doug had some great, great questions today. Doug always does. Your station for news, weather, business, and CBS Sports Radio. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury and on WKOK.com.